um, just a reminder, so Anna mentioned that we're doing a prayer week this week. We, we, you remember, we've, how many of you guys have been doing the three, day, three prayers a day thing? Lord's Prayer, Oikos Map, in the middle of the day, and gratitude. I've been doing it. Have you guys been doing it? Yeah. Can you raise your hands just to encourage me, please? Make me feel better. Even if you're not doing it, just lie. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we're, we're gonna, we had said, let's, let's try it through uh, Easter. It's Palm Sunday. We felt like, you know what? This is just working. And you know, it takes, it takes about this long to start a habit anyway. <laughs> so, so we're just going to continue this for the rest of the year. Um, so, so what we're doing is, if you don't know, in the morning, just waking up, simply saying the Lord's Prayer together. There's something about knowing other people are doing it along with you that helps. And then when we say Oikos Map, it's, it's at noon, praying for people in our relationship of networks who are far from God. We've already seen miracles happen just by praying for people far from God. Jesus is way more into this than we are. He is in love with people and desperate to bring them home. And then ending the day with gratitude. Uh, just looking back at your day and looking maybe even forward and say, God, where are you and what are you doing? Did you know that that's just a good therapeutic practice? If you're dealing with depression symptoms, this is one of the things a professional counselor will give you to do is at the end of each day, think of concrete things you can be grateful for. It actually starts to rewire your brain chemistry. Jesus is so smart, isn't he? He's so smart. He knows how we work and what, how we do it best. And then 24-7 prayer this week. I want to encourage you. You're welcome to right now get on your phone and sign up for a time. And so if you get to bctulsa.com and hit events and just scroll down a little bit, just there's a second thing down. Um, you can choose a time this week. If you're unfamiliar with 24-7 prayer, we've been part of a movement called 24-7 prayer for 25 years. And it all started in just this little church in, in England where they said, what would happen if we took a room and just dedicated to one hour after the next someone praying for 24 hours a day? That's what seemed just like a little experiment with a youth group literally has blown into an international movement in hundreds of nations where prayer has been happening. Prayer has been in places like prisons like this. This has been in the actual parliament of Britain, a prayer room right in there. And so we get to be part of the ongoing intercession of Jesus. Did you know Jesus is interceding at the throne right now on your behalf? You know, when we watch the news and we're so nervous, do you know Jesus is interceding for the world right now? He's actively engaging, saying, Father, let's rescue them. And will you bring laborers along to join me in this work? So we're choosing to join with Jesus' intercession for a week during this Passion Week. We remember the events of the end of Jesus' life on the earth. During this Passion Week, we want to dedicate it and focus ourselves on Jesus, with Jesus, for Jesus. Sound good? Good. Okay, so today is Palm Sunday. <laughs> if you've been around Believer's Church long enough, you know our, our liturgical uh, knowledge is a little limited. And there really was a, a moment where Roger Nix, who did the uh, dedications, was our lead pastor for 
uh, almost 20 years, I, I, I worked with Roger, and I leaned over to him, I was like, hey, dude, is today Palm Sunday? He's like, oh, man, I think it is. <laughs> and you're like, do you think we should say something? Yeah, so I'm flipping through my Bible quickly, looking for the right passage. Uh, during the transition, I'll read something about it. It's, it didn't come from exactly a high church tradition. But man, I have I found something beautiful in the way that the church over the last 2,000 years has sanctified time. It said time belongs to God, and so we're going to mark the passage of time with God's activity. And so that's why we look at things like Palm Sunday, Easter, Christmas, and these other things we can look at to remember that God acted in space and time and is redeeming everything. So we're looking at Palm Sunday today, which is, is the weekend before Easter in, in what we call Holy Week. And, and what I want to do during this whole week is I, I want to pay attention to this one question, is what kind of king is Jesus? We're going to look at this through Palm Sunday, through Good Friday service, and then Easter, because it's so so important. Why do we want to do this? The first thing is we want to know Jesus' leadership and respond to it. If you're a follower of Jesus, what that does not mean is I occasionally at times pay attention to what he might think I want to do. It is I'm literally submitting my life to his leadership as my king. And, and that means, man, I'm doing it, first of all, because he's wildly in love with me. What's drawn me to him is his kindness. But then I know out of that kindness, he, he gives me a life to live that looks different than a lot of my instincts. And so when it's deciding between me and Jesus, when I've chosen to follow Jesus, Jesus always wins. Does that make sense? That's what it means to be submitted to Jesus, to, 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 to say you're my king. So, but here's the deal. Have you ever noticed there's voices in your head that don't sound quite like Jesus? There are voices in our head that we've even attributed to God. I know people who have rejected God, and I think they've done the right thing because they're rejecting a God that doesn't actually exist. It's because we didn't know the familiarity of what kind of king Jesus is. What kind of instructions and leadership he gives us. So it's so important that we know what Jesus' leadership is like. Because sometimes we can be driven by voices that we think are him, but they really aren't. Jesus is so awesome. He's such a good leader. And so that's what we're going to look at today and the next couple times we get together. The other thing is, why do we want to look at uh, what kind of king Jesus is. We want to know and respond to his leadership. And then there's another thing. We see in the beginning, and, and this is in Genesis 1, at creation, first of all, we know that this is in Isaiah 66, but this is what we know about God. That heaven's his throne, earth is his footstool. God is king. He is the boss of the universe. Even it may not seem like it. He made the place. He's running the show. And Here's what is interesting is at creation, this is when we try to figure out what are we for? Why do we humans exist? What is our purpose? We can look in Genesis where God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that, 
so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So what is it that we are and what are we for? We are God's image on the earth. There, there's ancient Near East practice for some kings, what they would do and when they'd be conquering a land or they'd be over a land, the way they would remind the land that the king's in charge is they had put up an image. They'd put a statue in that land. We're the image of God on the earth. Of his kind rule. Rule is kind of a weird word, especially in America. We don't use that much. We don't say, in a few years we'll elect our ruler. You know, that doesn't go so well. I feel like an 80s rock star when I do this. I'm just noticing. That's not really helpful to the message, but I just noticed it. I just, I've always wanted to do that, and I just like, it's my time. We are created to lead with and like God. Lead what? The earth. That, 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 that there's this diversity of things of God wanting to tend and care for the earth. But the question is, it can be confusing when you see the word rule. It can even be confusing when you say the word lead. Because we want to know, if we're going to lead like God, what does that look like? So here are the two things we want to know, why we want to know what kind of king Jesus is. We want to know and respond to his leadership, and we want to lead with him and like him. I, I, I have this sense of the power of the Holy Spirit today, that the Lord wants to release people here into specific areas in the world that you are going to live out your creation purpose in the image of God, bearing the image of God, to lead. And what I mean by lead, leads, well, we'll see what, you, we, what Jesus means by lead but to lead in ways that are productive and fruitful in restoring the earth as God wants it to be in every area of life. Can some of you, can anybody get in on with that? Because here's the deal. I already know what the purpose of your life is. I just showed you. It's to lead with and like Jesus. So, so we got to know what he's like and how he leads so we know how to live out our created purpose in the way he's made us. Okay. So, the kingdom in the very beginning, God's king, and humans are in God's image, leading with and like God. We see Adam doing stuff like naming animals, and who knows all that they did. But we know the story that the kingdom went into chaos pretty quickly, because both Adam and Eve decided, well, we could obey God's leadership. We could lead with him and like him, but why don't we lead ourselves? Because they heard this little, this guy talking to them, that, 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 uh, this, this snake, if you will, that says, you know, God's holding out on you. He's not told you everything that's going on. And so actually, if you do the very thing you asked him not to do, you're going to get something he's been withholding this whole time. And, and what, what happened to us, it wasn't good. First of all, we, we chose not to know and respond to his leadership. And then we see 
in, in, within a few generations, that we see the wickedness of the human race. In other words, the, the twistedness, the brokenness of the human race, that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. We were totally deformed. So, 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 so it's this chaotic situation where the beautiful order, the care of the earth that God had bestowed in and through us, we, we in rebelling against his leadership, deformed both us and creation. We're out of shape. But God, we know the story. This is such a stunning story that thankfully God is not insecure. He doesn't take rejection. He doesn't notice it quickly. He decides, I want to redeem this. He wants to send a king that will do this. He wants a human that, that would come back to the creation purpose of God that was in the garden, to know and respond to God's leadership and to lead with him and like him on the earth. And so I, I, I will say these slides, I, they'll, they're always on our YouTube thing, and I intentionally give you a lot of references on these so you can have them. You may not go home and do it, but so you can look at this stuff later and know where the references are because you're not going to get all this anytime when we just sit here what God's trying to say to us. But I'm trying to create a reference tool. So, so here's, here's just a few of the prophecies of the new king. I could read them all out. My heart wants to. But my wife is in the room. <laughs> and she's like, shorten it, Guile. So uh, I see some of you guys putting phones up. This is going to get even messier quicker. So um, the new king is what we call the anointed one, the Messiah, that the prophets are talking about this guy that, that's going to be coming. It, 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 so God starts with Abraham. He says, through your family, I'm going to bless the whole nations of the earth. And then Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has these sons. It, it, it turns into this family that grows into this nation that when it gets to King David, God, God starts making these promises to David saying, man, you're, you're somebody after my own heart. You're the kind of person, I want that kind of rule on the earth. So I'm going to, through your actual line, bring a king who's going to fulfill all this stuff, who will respond to my leadership and lead like I do and restore the image of God in humanity on the earth. And so it, it's this idea that there's anointing on this guy, that the, the oil of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, in, in Hebrew it's Meshach, so that's Messiah is the way we see it, say it. Is, and so, but the thing is, <laughs> David, I mean, David's, David's life does not end awesome. Has anybody noticed that? David's like a study in, well, that was, that was too bad. It was like awesome in disaster, you know. He's even at the end of his life, you know, saying, oh, you know, sons, follow the Lord. And Solomon, kill that guy, kill that guy, and kill that guy. I mean, read it. He's like, he's a mob boss, you know, at the end of it. And then there's kings after him and kings after him. And what the Old Testament shows us throughout the whole thing is the king has not yet come. And, and actually, if you're wondering, like God was hoping, God knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. But the, the, the point of like First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings is to show the king's not here yet. And so Jesus shows up on the scene. 
And, and so Jesus' life is fascinating because he, it seems like he's born to be king because there's like angels showing up saying things to Mary like, you know, your son, whom there's not going to be a father, it's the Holy Spirit, is going to be the son of David. Joseph, his father, is of the line of David. Uh, you, you know, not genetic father, but father by, by uh, association. I can't think of the right word right now. Lineage. Thank you. Um, Matthew, I mean, then these magi show up in town and they're like, hey, we heard the king of the Jews was born. And the existing king's like, what? And he definitely was not the Messiah. He went and tried to kill him. You know, I mean, so that there's all this crazy stuff going around the birth of Jesus that indicates he's the king. Then as he gets older, he goes out and he teaches with authority like nobody else does. He, he, and then he does stuff nobody does. He like physically heals people who are sick. He raises, he shows up at a funeral and he's so sad for this widow who lost her son that he, he pulls her son out of the coffin, man. That's a day. Like, who is this guy? He's casting out demons. Demons are like, you're the king of Israel. He's like, quiet. And it started, it started to dawn on Israel. It's been a long time since they'd had anybody who might fit this bill as this king who'd been promised time and again through the prophets. And in Matthew 12, 23, so all the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? Same word he's put in there, Messiah, anointed one, king. But here's the funny part. As Jesus lives his life, he sure doesn't act much like a king. He's kind of an odd dude. Because you see, he starts off with a baptism of repentance. In other words, all the sinners are going down to John. And Jesus said, I'm coming down here too. And John, who knows who he is, like, you don't need to be baptized. And Jesus said, yeah, I do. I want to fulfill everything God's called me to. So I'm going to humble myself to this. Then Jesus is literally offered world domination. I mean, right? That's every superhero episode is the, the bad guys going trying world domination. And Satan offers it to him. I see you're the king. Let's go. And what does Jesus do? He turns it down. He turns it down. He turns down world domination they could instantly have. He's got a totally unimpressive leadership team. <laughs> Why are they laughing, guys? We're going to have to analyze that later. Work it out in therapy with my insecurities. No, he's got, he's got, he's got fishermen. Okay, I don't know what their political philosophy experience is. He's got a zealot, which could be a terrorist. Seriously, it could be a terrorist. What a violent overthrow of Rome. He's got a tax collector who's a complete turncoat. Everybody hates the dude. These are the guys. Oh, and he decided, you know who I'm going to point to my, my cabinet? Someone who I know will betray me. 
Who is this guy? What kind of king is this? And then he says this. Yeah, it's easy for anybody to wreak revenge on their enemies. And in fact, all of Israel's like, Rome has been just treating us like garbage. And before that, multiple nations have treated us like garbage. And Jesus said, yeah, I know, it's, but it's really, everybody does that. What if we loved our enemies? What if we fed them and took care of them? Because that's what our father's like. And they're like, huh? And Jesus, he teaches and he says, here, here are the privileged class in my world. The powerless, the sad, the hungry, the persecuted. They're blessed. They're blessed in my kingdom. In my rule. And Jesus, he hangs with people who gave him no advantages. Right? You'd think, Jesus, at least make the right connections. But look who he spends time with. Children. Especially in ancient culture. We're kind of a weird culture that, you know, kind of exalts our children pretty high. The, the children are just, a, 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 at best, a nuisance in ancient Near East culture. At best. Poor people have nothing they can give them. They don't have any connections, don't have any money. Simple people. Jesus gets hyped when there's a couple of times when only the people who nobody thought was that intelligent caught on to what he was doing. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven, that you revealed these things, not to the powerful and the elite, but to the simple and childlike. He says in Luke that he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit when simple people caught on to what he was doing. Total outsiders, a Syrophoenician woman who, like, she was such an outsider that the disciples are like, this is awkward, Jesus. Don't spend time with her. She's outside of our group. Or, or how about the woman at the well? They come back, they're surprised that the Samaritan woman's getting Jesus' full attention. He stops. He's finally hobnobbing with a good guy. It's a synagogue leader who needs his help and thinks Jesus can heal his daughter. And Jesus, with the crowd following him on the way, stops everything he do, is doing to pay attention and encourage to a chronically ill single woman who desperately needed healing. He stopped everything for that. Jesus stops everything he does for blind men who offer nothing, but by the way, are the ones who recognized he was the Messiah. Lepers, who would, Matthew 8, one of my favorite stories of Jesus, he just gives this burning sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and then Jesus comes off of the, off of the mountain, and in Matthew 8, it says a leper's coming to him. Now, a leper in that day, nobody knew how to cure leprosy, so that meant they had to live away from the, everybody else, and literally, as they walked among people, had to yell out, unclean. I mean, that's rough on self-esteem, wouldn't you think? Just wherever I go, I yell out unclean. And I'm not just saying the word. I mean, I'm unclean. Get away. And he comes up to Jesus, desperately hoping that this guy's what he seems like. And he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus not only says he's willing, he stops what he's doing and he puts his hand on him. Puts his hand on the ritually unclean, the literally, biologically unclean skin and heals it the middle of the crowd. Jesus hangs out with demon-possessed people. 
Have you been around demon-possessed people? It's awkward, man. Especially as there's really stuff going on. It's really, really awkward and weird. And he's like drawn and heals them. In fact, did you know that the first campaign manager for Jesus' king campaign was a guy so demon-possessed that all they knew was lock him out in the graveyard because we don't know what to do with him. And Jesus went straight out to the guy. The guy even said, can I follow you around? He said, no, you're already ready for mission. You need, to, you need to go tell the whole Decapolis, all those ten cities all about me. Jesus also hanged out. Hanged? Is that a thing? <laughs> Hang it out with people who are a disadvantage to him. This is just the classic one. There's the various references. Now the tax collectors. Sinners, we're all gathering around to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law, i.e. those who had power, those who had influence, muttered, what's wrong with this guy? He's with sinners. Don't you know that contaminates you? That disqualifies you? Jesus spent extra time with these people. And then Jesus goes on to ignore and offend people who could be an advantage to him. Sadducees, you know, ran, the, the priests, they ran the temple. In ancient Israel, the temple and political power were one and the same. It's not, there was no separation of church and state like we have here. So if you want to be, you're always like, why are the temple guys constantly taking Jesus to Pilate? It's because they're the political authorities. And Jesus is ticking them off all the time. He's like, hey guys, good to see you. You're a whitewashed tomb. You're like full of dead man's bones. And they're like, what? I mean, just a terrible campaigning strategy. He turned away potential financial contributors. This is the story of a guy who guy is like, literally, I'll do anything to follow you. Jesus is like, I'm not sure you will. How about you sell everything you have? Jesus knew what that guy's obstacle was. And the guy leaves, and Jesus doesn't apologize. He, he says in Mark that Jesus looked at him and loved him. But he loved him so much to challenge him to the one place he knew would be an obstacle to following Jesus. And it was all of his money. That doesn't mean money's always an obstacle, but for this guy it was. What, what could this guy have given Jesus if Jesus would have said, eh, it's good? He didn't. He was way more concerned about his heart than his contributions. He really offended and disappointed his hometown. He goes there and they're immediately heckling him. Saying, isn't that Jesus... I bought, I bought a chair from him once. He was a carpenter's son. Who's this guy think he is? And his campaigning was awful. He, this John 7, if you read this, this is a fascinating text here. His brothers say to him, it's during the Passover, and they say, hey, Jesus, you should go now because any leader who wants to build a following needs to go now. And it says the sentence is, his brothers said this because they didn't believe in him either. And he didn't go. He hid. And his messaging for his campaign was unclear. 
His disciples would say, why do you speak in parables? They don't understand what you're saying. Jesus said, some will. I'll explain it to you. He's not worried about it. And in fact, when his disciples finally caught on that he's Messiah, he said, just don't tell anybody. Yeah, you're right. I am the king. Don't tell anybody. His leadership or strategy is unorthodox and humiliating. You know, how about, you know, James and John's mom, which is what a, what a courageous step. Mom, will you ask Jesus, the king, if we can work for him? You know, it's like, wow. So she did. He's like, well, I can't really give you right and left hand stuff, but if you really want to follow me, you don't know what you're asking, man. You're not going to like this. Talks about serving others, laying his life down. It, uh, it, and then Jesus, when it finally came to it, he had a big opportunity. It says in John 6, he just fed the 5,000. Like this dude has got it going. He fed everybody here. We're out in the middle of the desert. And Jesus, at the end of that, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, went and introverted. Hallelujah. He hid himself when they were, they, they were going to forcibly make this guy the king. Jesus, it's finally your chance. You're the king. He took off. So we get to what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. And things are starting to look good. I'm going to read this passage to you. It says, they approached Jerusalem, came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples, said to them, go to the village ahead of you. You'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them, and he'll send them right away. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their coats on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, listen to this, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna, which means save us. Sorry. I thought it was going to be more enthusiastic, but it was, it was a little bit of a letdown. So. But that, it's okay. It's not on you. It's not on me. All right. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Jerusalem, which is the capital, which is where the temple is, which is where all the kingly power is. The whole place is stirred. Who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This looks good. If you look at the things that Jesus did, this moment fulfilled multiple prophecies and historical expectations about the Messiah's coming. We see that, yes, it was a humble donkey rode in, but there were two kings who'd done that before him, Jehu and Solomon. And that these things had been prophesied that, yeah, the Messiah was going to show up like this. This, whoa. And if you realize Jesus has done something here, he's made a pretty big shift. He's saying, yeah, I'm the guy. 
I mean, think about that. This is actually a really dangerous thing for him to do, by the way, because there's a different king still. (laughs) And Rome's that guy's boss using that guy as a puppet to run the country. Wow, okay. (laughs) Moving right along. (laughs) But then Jesus, he just kind of messes it up again. I mean, he had this incredible entrance. He had everybody's attention. And then he goes in and clears the temple, which was functioning just fine. There are people there selling things for people to be able to exchange money so they could buy sacrifices. But Jesus goes in and this prophetic act kicks people out of it. And then what he does, he makes room for poor and lame people. He starts to heal them. Because from what we understand at those outer temple courts, those guys were crowding out the places where the poor and the lame would only be allowed to be. Jesus came because he's like, no, I want these guys in here and I'm going to heal them. And then he lets the children run amok in the temple saying, save us, King Jesus. And it's ticking off the guys. I was, I was definitely the kid running through the temple, by the way. That, that's why if you see in Believer's Church children running, it's my fault. I'm all for it. <laughs> I am. I don't want anybody to get hurt, but I'm like, my impression of church was not the joyous temple of God. Um, that's a long rabbit trail I won't get into. But Jesus seemed to like them, saying, save us, King Jesus. Then he offended the powerful people again. He told like eight parables of how you're the whitewashed walls, you're the ones who killed the son of the king landowner, you're that guy. And it pronounces woes on them. I've never had a woe pronounced on me, but I'd remember that, wouldn't you? <laughs> he, in fact, says to the powerful, he says, you know who's going to enter the kingdom ahead of you? The tax collectors and the prostitutes. And prostitutes in that day, they weren't like, you know, sometimes we can, they're not like cartoon prostitutes. So we thought, oh, they're nice prostitutes. It's as offensive as it would be today. To, to, to go up to the president and say, I'd rather have a prostitute with me than you. That's not a political statement. And it is. It's a statement to power. What kind of king is Jesus? His target audience is apparently still the hungry, sick, and prisoners. He says those that serve the hungry, sick, and prisoners be the ones in his kingdom. And then when the authorities are like, well, you've got all this authority. Where's your authority come from? He won't tell them. Kind of traps them. He knows it's from God. So he, he makes them say, well, tell me what John's baptism. Remember I submitted to John's baptism back there? If that's from God, then that's where my power came from. But they didn't want to do that. But they didn't want to say John's baptism wasn't from God because they knew all the people would be upset about that. And then during this main festival where Jesus could have recruited a bunch of followers, he inaugurates his discipleship's leadership by doing the most humiliating thing he could do with them and washing their feet. 
There's a wonderful sermon uh, Andy Stanley gave to the president. He was asked to be pre- uh, to, this was uh, about 10 years ago or 15 years ago. He said, uh, Jesus shows us what's to do, what, what to do when you're the most powerful person in the room. And one of his friends finally got frustrated with him. I've just had enough. This is so annoying. I had such high expectations of where you were taking us, Jesus. We thought this is what all the prophets talked about. But this is such a you're such a disappointment. I'm going to go to the authorities. I'm going to go to the powers that I was willing to overthrow with you. But we got to stop this thing. But by the end of the week, everyone Jesus had had rejected and left him. What kind of king is Jesus? What kind of king is Jesus? I gave you a lot of stuff. That, that, that One of the reasons I gave those passages is so you can reflect on it. One of the ways we make Jesus our focus is we reflect on who he is and think about him again and again and again. One of the things we can definitely see is he is not afraid to disappoint expectations. <laughs> he is not nervous about disappointing his constituency. Now we know in the long run, he turns out to be a king far better than we expected. And right, disappointment only happens when you have expectations that aren't met. It's all about expectations, right? Well, here's the deal. For Palm Sunday, here's the question we have to ask about applying it right now. We could say, all those dumb Israelites, the Messiah was in front of them, and they didn't see him. How many here have been disappointed by God's leadership? How many of you are like, this God does not know what he's doing? Okay. This is making me smile. I don't know what's happening. It can't be related to that because that wasn't funny, but I'm kidding. I'm kidding. How do we recognize Jesus' leadership before we know where he's actually taking us? How do we do that now? Because we're going to take the rest of this week to continue to unpack what kind of king Jesus is as we go to the cross and the passion and then as we come out of the tomb. Here's a hint. Let's see who caught on to King Jesus. This is Matthew 21. When the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, Lord? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. Earlier, Jesus had this experience. It said people were bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. Don't, know, don't you know how important this guy is? He's the Messiah. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God. The kingdom I'm the kingdom, the kingdom that I am bringing belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not 
receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. How do we recognize Jesus' leadership before we know where he's taking us? We got to get low. How do, how do you engage with a child? How do you get on a child's level? You got to get low. Now, the way all of Jerusalem reacted probably tells us a little bit about our natural human nature, doesn't it? That when we see a king coming, we see maybe the powers being overturned, there's something going on inside of us that we have certain expectations of what that leadership should look like. And it turns out that Jesus disappointed 100% of the people that knew him. To the point they killed him. To recognize Jesus, the only people that seemed to really truly hang in there were the children. So what kind of king is Jesus? Why do we want to know this? Well, we want to know and respond to his leadership. We've been looking at what we're trying to do is develop a flavor. We're developing a taste. So you can, oh, I know what that smells like. I know what the leadership of Jesus smells like. If it smells like it's full of something other than what we just saw, it, it, it may not be his leadership. If it's a voice in our head that doesn't sound like a voice that welcomes children and says, I want to bless them, don't listen to it. We want to also, God is calling us to reclaim the image of God in us where we will lead in areas of culture and carry areas of culture, but we lead with him and like him. Graham Caddo said it this week so beautiful, beautifully. Jesus leads by influence, not domination. How many chances did Jesus have just to lay the hammer down? But he actually wants our hearts. He wants us to want to follow him. So, what kind of king is Jesus? We want to know and respond to his leadership. Know that he's not afraid to disappoint our expectations. My theory of leadership is this. If you're not disappointing somebody's expectations, you're not leading. Because if, if, if we just automatically all went the right direction together, what's the point of a leader? At some point, you're having to say, you know, we're actually going this way. So if you're a leader and obsessed with making everybody happy, stop it. You're actually making everybody mad now. You're not helping. What's so great about Jesus, it turns out he's far better than our expectations because to lead with and to like him means we got to get low with him. Isn't that beautiful? Is there something in you? 
I don't know. Maybe there's something in you that's like, this is so attractive and so unrealistic. I don't know. Or maybe there's something in you, kind of like the danger of last week's sermon, is like, yeah, that leader needs to hear this. Yeah, true. You know you're a leader. Wherever God's calling you, he's called you to shape. Shape that place. That's the image of God is to beautify it through going low to influence it. So could we just, could we finish today's service by going low ourselves? I, I find it helps me to move my body that way. You don't have to do that. And some of you, I know that physically wouldn't be a good thing for you to do. But can we do this in, in just, maybe as, a, as a, even a little bit of a promise in this, in this moment of Holy Week, as we remember that God owns time. And, and that we're remembering what Jesus has done in the Passion Week because he did it in time and space. Where he came into our world, became one of us. That in time and space, Jesus, will you look at us? We desire you to be our king. We desire you to be our king. And Lord, we admit that there's things about you that are disappointing to us. We want you to just shut the mouths of people that oppose us. We want you to just obliterate the bad guys and are shocked to see that you want to save them. We want you to vanquish our enemies and we're shocked to find that you ask us to love them like you did. We can't do this, Lord, unless you help us. So, Lord, we're going low for you to give us the power that only you have that we're going to see by Easter can do anything. Lord, you accept our, our humble submission to you and joyfully just promote your family here into the very places of influence and leadership that you've designed them for. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, let's stand together and we're going to do, we got one, two, two more things we're going to do real quick. One is we're going to pray for our Oikos map to finish this and then we've got our kids doing something for you in the hallway to help give us a mental picture of today's sermon. I just distracted everybody. Lower your expectations, okay? <laughs> it's not that amazing, but it's fun. So let's think of those people in our network of people far from God. Oh, Lord, your heart's so moved with compassion. Thank you for moving in your heart with compassion toward me, one of your lost kids. So let's pray this together. Lord, I pray for the people in my life who are far from you. Deliver them from the evil one. Bring them into your family and help them to grow as your disciples. Amen. If you've got children who are in the explorers group, they're going to be with their, you're going to get them from the hallway because they're greeting us in the hallway as we go this way. They're with their color teams. So if you want to go that way, the kids are happy to send you off.